With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I love Monday mornings, ladies and gentlemen. Monday mornings are the best. They are absolutely the 1,010% best. You can't get anything better than a good old-fashioned Monday morning. Do yourself a favor. Here's what you do with voting. You ready? I got one tip for you. Do, do um, I don't know, do these, what's it called? Uh, newspapers still tell you who to vote. Vote the opposite. Think about it. Vote the opposite. Voting is tomorrow. Newspapers telling you, we endorse this guy. Vote the opposite. Newspapers and media have been lying here for four years. They've been horrible. Don't take their advice. Vote the opposite. Make it Costanza. Make it opposite day. That's what we're doing. We're going opposite day, ladies and gentlemen, tomorrow. They tell me, you know, vote Democratic ticket across the board. Screw that. Which media person, newspaper person, has actually been honest and unbiased during this time? The answer, none. Vote them out. Get rid of them. Adios. I love Mondays, ladies and gentlemen. i got to tell you why yesterday the score was only 20 to 17. But if you watched, if you had the opportunity to watch Patrick Mahomes, you saw greatness. You saw greatness. You saw a guy making a play. You saw a guy using his feet. You saw 63 uh, rushing yards, 68 passing attempts. He was all they had. Every single time, and I don't know how much you guys watch this, but every time they, they being the, uh, what's it called, the, uh, the Chiefs, decided to run the football, it was like a win for the Titans. And oh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about this. The best coach team in football is the Tennessee Titans. How the Tennessee Titans stayed in that game is 1,000% beyond me. There's no way they could stay in that game. There's no chance they could stay in that game. They had zero talent compared to what else was going on with the other team, that team being the Patrick Mahomes led team. They had nothing. They couldn't run the ball. Couldn't block the ball. Hell, Collinsworth was making stuff up about some guy named Wiley. He couldn't block me, but he was making it up. But I got to tell you, man, in the end, Patrick Mahomes came through. A little problem for Tennessee. Tennessee should be glad they are in the division that they are in because I got to tell you, Malik Willis, uh uh-uh. No, 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 no. Malik Willis cannot go. Not yet. He can run. He can manage a little bit through a couple nice passes. Maybe a guy needed to make a catch. But Tennessee, and we'll talk to Chad Withrow about this, you got a problem. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the Colts. Why am I talking about the Colts? Well, because we got a lot of listeners here from the Colts and because I do radio shows in Indianapolis and because I talk about the Colts. But I got to tell you something. The Colts are the worst team in football right now. This moment, worst team in football. Tell me another one. It was 26-3, to and I'm looking at the score, and I'm thinking to myself, it was actually worse than that. Zero for 14 on third down. Nine sacks 
of Sam Ellinger. I don't know whether Sam Ellinger is the future or not. How can anybody tell whether Sam Ellinger is the future or not? You got a team that can't protect him. You got an offensive line that's the highest paid offensive line in the NFL, and they can't protect him. The running quarterback deal is a myth, let's be honest. Well, we're going to get a mobile quarterback. That'll solve our protection problems. No, not when you try to put a running back named Deion Jackson, whoever the hell that is, one-on-one, and he didn't even know where to go uh, against Matthew Judon, arguably the hottest pass rusher in the league. Now, look, this is malpractice. And I've got to call out literally every national media person, including the people here at Fox. Jay Glazer told me that Frank Reich is a, quote, elite coach. I told Jay Glazer, you're out of your mind. He hadn't won anything. Well, Frank Reich is not an elite coach. It would not surprise me if today they let Frank Reich go. It would surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me. I'd be like, hey, man, you got to do what you got to do. Let me give you some numbers here. Two yards per play. Zero for 14 on third down. Nine sacks. That's all you need to know. And I got to tell you, New England's no better. New England's no better. What does New England do? Walk me through this. Mac Jones, bah. Running backs, bah. You tell me. I'll listen. I'll hang up and listen, caller. You tell me what they do. Anything. Anything. So now, right now, the Colts are the worst team in the NFL. And you tell me I would listen somebody different. Carolina probably is in the conversation. I guess they lost maybe worse than the Colts. But I guarantee you, Carolina's numbers aren't as bad as the Colts. And I want you to think about this. I would love for you to think about this, Colts fans. Um, The Colts had Mike Vrabel, arguably the NFL's best, in their offices thinking about hiring him when they hired who? No, not Frank Reich. Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels, and I say it that way on purpose. Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels, my backside. I'll listen. Seriously, I'll hang up and listen. I'll go through all of this for you. You tell me a worse team in the NFL right now, how they're playing. Last game, 26-3, last possession the game prior, 90-yard drive by Taylor Henneke to beat him. You tell me. There's a worse team. I'll tell you, you're crazy. You're insane. Don't tell me about Jonathan Taylor not playing as well. All right, Amia Copa. I thought the Falcons, you know how this season has gone for them, right? I thought the Falcons maybe, just maybe, were one of those teams of destiny. We're one of those teams that, man, good fortune is striking. Tom Brady is down. The team looks bad. Brady's being divorced. He looks skinny. I argue with my friends. Ah, he's sad. He's not eating. They all say Brady's getting plastic surgery. I'll get the Brady here in a minute. But I got to tell you, I thought the Falcons were the team of destiny. I thought the Falcons were the team that was going to lose Matt Ryan, gain an athletic, fast quarterback, whip the ball around, get some things done. Nah, no. Nope, they're still the Falcons. They're still the Falcons. They got lost by Dick and the kick, Dicker the kicker. Dicker the kicker with the field goal. Everybody carried him off. He had just been signed. Uh, Mariota was Mariota, 12 for 23. There wasn't anything there. There wasn't anything there. And then what happened on the other end? 
You know what happened on the other end. Tom Brady. All right. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to tell We love Mike Ditka. We love Mike Ditka. All right? We do. We love Mike Ditka. Mike Ditka is our hero. All right? But Mike Ditka squelched and squeezed and ripped and pulled the life out of the Chicago Bears. And I'll tell you why. Because he took all the endorsement money. Everybody in Chicago will tell you, you couldn't swing a dead cat. I don't know why you'd swing a dead cat, but you couldn't swing a dead cat without seeing Ditka's restaurant, Ditka's ribs, Ditka doing this, Ditka doing that, Ditka doing this. Uh, Guess what? Players resented it. Players didn't like it. Players turned on their TV, and you know what? They saw who? Ditka. They said to themselves, look, I'm making, no, uh-uh, I'm not making any money. Uh-uh. Players back then didn't make any money. And they didn't. So here's the deal. So Ditka, and there was resentment. And there was angst, all right? Fast forward. Who do you see in all these commercials right now? Sean McVay. Soup commercial, McVay. This progressive, this, that, other, McVay. You know who you don't see? You don't see the running back. You don't see Jalen Ramsey. You see Aaron Donald a little bit. Stafford's in one or two, got himself a national one. But you don't see the other people. That's Ditka. And then Sean McVay has apparently forgotten how to coach, particularly defense, because the defense he put up against Tom Brady yesterday was ridiculous late in the game. There was a pretty good piece on it by Tony Dungy last night about how hard or how off uh, the <laughs> McVay's corners were playing for the Rams and how Brady just took advantage of it, and then they got the break with the pass interference in the end zone. Sean McVay is the new Ditka. He took all the endorsements. He got greedy. He's the face of the franchise. He ain't the guy getting hit. Hell, he couldn't even play at Miami of Ohio. He's a savant. He's a genius. He's all that. But he made a fatal mistake, and that is he got greedy. I'm telling you right now, he got greedy. And now his team can't play. I guarantee you there's rumblings inside. I'll tell you also, Colts fans, here's the deal. I'll tell you something with your team, our team, whatever. You don't think there's internal strife on teams like the Rams questioning, hey, man, why is McVay doing all these ads? Why am I getting nothing? Well, Colts fans, you don't think there's all kind of internal strife about watching the best offensive line, excuse me, the highest paid offensive line, certainly not the best, get pummeled for nine sacks? You don't think that defense and others are going, wait a second here, this is crap. I'm telling you, you got to be very careful. The dynamic of a team is in balance. It's, a, it's, it's difficult. You, as a coach, you got to be cognizant of it every single day. You just do. Every day. In every move you make. Speaking of the balance of a team, the balance of the Tampa Bay Bucks came back with that touchdown. Oh, I guarantee you it did. Brady being Brady, 44 seconds. Hell, they scored with nine seconds to go. They were so efficient. And McVay's offense, excuse me, his defense was so bad. McVay's the new Ditka. All right, speaking of balance on a team, I want you to think about something. You're an adult male. You're an adult alpha male. You're an adult badass male, right? 
And you got this quarterback, and he's a good quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, all-time great quarterback. Not the all-time great, but he's an all-time great quarterback. And you're sitting there and you're going, hey, I'm busting my backside here. And when you watch this all-time great quarterback, who I believe is way past his prime, could be wrong, we'll see, make bad throw after bad throw and then throw up his hands and blame everybody, then go in a press conference and, and look like he thinks he's the Dalai Lama? Are you crazy? I ain't having it, and neither are you. We're not having it, people. There's no chance we're having it. At some point when you're on a five-game losing streak, you cease to be interesting. You just do. I'm sorry. So I'm not interested in Aaron Rodgers anymore. Much like I wasn't interested in the meathead Dan Campbell, what I am interested in is how his teammates ultimately respond to him. They'll all shut up because they know the organization has run by Rodgers, but Rodgers won't shut up. Rodgers will do a Tuesday hit with our friend Pat McAfee. Something will come out of it, usually pretty good. I mean, it's fun to watch. And next thing you know, uh, Rodgers will be back to being the smug malcontent that he currently has been. You know, <coughs> the bottom line with Rodgers is simply this. Doesn't look like he has it. As simple as that. Doesn't look like he's got it. I mean, he's throwing picks in the end zone. The ball's way short. He's short-arming stuff, looks a little skittish. That's the bottom line. I had some blanky throws, right? Sure, I've been uh, counted out many times in my life, as have many of my teammates. I hope we just dig deep and find a way. We will be underdogs many games moving forward. Hopefully, we can embrace that. We have two games at home. Got to win those two games, and then this thing looks a little different. He's right about that. He's absolutely right about that. Uh, but I'm tired of him. I'm tired of Aaron Rodgers. I, I am. I, I, I like him. Uh, he's an interesting guy. You know, he does the peyote or whatever the stuff that he is as he's doing. But I got to tell you, uh, no, I, I've had enough. Back to the Colts. It still burp, chaps my ass. Think about this for just a second. I'll, I'll move on to something else. Think about this for the Colts. One game out, they bench Matt Ryan. They go to this guy. I got nothing. Anyway, and then, of course, the Chiefs and the Titans. We've already we, – uh, the Chiefs and the Titans. We already hit on Look at this right there. A tale of two quarterbacks. You want to know where the NFL is right now? Those two guys, those two guys right there replaced Brady and they replaced Manny. Look at that. Ellinger and Mac Jones. Come on. That used to be Brady and Manny. Now we got, I don't know, okay and okayer. You know what I mean? That game yesterday was on television, national TV, because all games are, right? But come on. Nobody was watching that game. Heck, even Colts fans weren't watching that game halfway through that game. Dang, gone, peoples. Come on. <laughs> That was awful. Oh, man. All right. Let's talk a little college foots. I don't know. I'm going to give you three words. Get off Brian Kelly's ass. Get. I'm going to get to the Georgia game. I'm going to get to it. But I got to tell you, get off Brian Kelly's ass now. Get off it. 
Get off of it. All Brian Kelly does is win. I don't know what to tell you. What more do you guys want? Well, you know, Marcus Freeman being a top five team. Good for Marcus Freeman. Notre Dame is better. I'll get to that in a minute. But get off Brian Kelly's backside. Get off of it. Get off. I'm telling you right now, I've had enough. I'm going to tweet that out right now. Get off Brian, I-A-N, Kelly. I'm trying not to swear because they tell me we can't monetize this if we swear. Backside. Get off it. What a gutsy performance by Brian Kelly's crew. You know, easy to make fun of Brian Kelly, right? He's a a middle-aged white guy. And he makes it easy for people, right? Look, middle-aged white guy, you can't wait to make fun of him. It is, it is make fun of protected territory, right? I mean, you got to be like, I heard yesterday, Hannah Storm. She couldn't believe people before the game were actually criticizing Byron Leftwich. Really? All right. Why not? Team stinks. What's on your mind, Hannah? Anyway, I look at it and I go, man, Brian Kelly's easy. Middle-aged white guy, fake accent, dancing with players, uh, always red in the face, screaming, yelling, left Notre Dame, which means all the meatheads south side of Chicago and South Bend that all look alike, dark floppy hair, big thick head, Notre Dame grad, by the way. They all are mad and they are vocal, and now we got our guy, yay, Rod, go fight, win. But one thing was lost in translation, and that is Brian Kelly doesn't lose. Not saying Brian Kelly going to win national championship, but Brian Kelly doesn't lose very often. And you can go back whether the, the toughest place to coach is the Mid-American Conference. Urban Meyer never won a conference title. I don't think Kelly won a conference title, but they were smart. They won enough and got the hell out. Cincinnati won big. Notre Dame, all-time winning as coach. And now he goes down to the bayou, pieces together a roster, takes all the bullets from people, reorganizes his staff. Remember when people at Notre Dame were so proud to say, everybody stayed with Marcus Freeman. Yeah, well, you lost to Stanford and you lost to Marshall. I know you're getting better. I'll get to that in a minute. But Brian Kelly just goes down there and just wins. And the truth of the matter is he's a northerner. We can all be honest here. Hell, Urban Meyer has said it on this show. If you're from the South and you don't win, your ass is gone. I mean, we ain't messing with you. They'll call you bad names. They'll call you really bad names down there. I had a run-in with a guy, Florida fan. He was calling Urban bad names on the court, Wisconsin against Florida basketball game. They don't even care about basketball. But Brian Kelly just wins. He did. It's like like, uh, Trump with Notre Dame fans. I guarantee you. Let me see here. I just tweeted this out. I guarantee you the first response is going to be, well, but did you see what Notre Dame did without him? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I did. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah, right. I saw they lost to Marshall. Yeah, right. Go fight with. But I'm just telling you, the first response will be, uh, if there is a response, did you see what they did to Marshall? Or you see what they did to – no, stop. Brian Kelly wins. He's coming to the SEC. He's taking names. got a chance to get to Atlanta. And I'm here for it, baby. Also, because, well, I'm not going to lie to you, uh, I took uh, LSU to win outright, third game of a parlay, went to dinner. My stepson, uh, Jay uh, Shaw, go to Jay Shaw, listen to his music, by the way. It's unbelievable. Uh, we took him out to dinner, my wife and I. It was his birthday, but I had the phone going because I bet 100 to win 1300 and DraftKings was trying to pay me off, but I wouldn't take it. I had guts, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, that's right. 
Big guts. Kelly came through. Get off Brian Kelly's ass. All right, the game of the day. You're not going to believe this. You're going to get mad at me, and everybody's going to be a philosopher. I'm not a philosopher. I just tell you what's going on based on years and years and years and years and years and years of sitting in a film room with the great Bob Knight. Georgia, Alabama. Or excuse me, Georgia, Tennessee. Now, you're all going not going to agree with this. All right? Georgia, Tennessee, the game was decided, and I said it at the time. Georgia, Tennessee, the game was decided. I'm tweeting this out, too was decided when Tennessee got the fumble and had to kick a field goal. That's it. I mean, I, you're not going to hear that anywhere else. It was decided by the first field goal. When you had to settle for a field goal, that game was decided because Georgia got hepped up. Georgia went down the field. Uh, and guess what? They took the lead. I'm just telling you. Now, oh, Dan, there's a lot of game left. You don't know nothing about football. I know everything about football. I'm the smartest football mind you'll ever see. True story. Or here. I'm just telling you. I looked. I turned to Lee. I go, all right. Actually, I turned to Jared. I said, that's a problem. That's a problem. It's a problem. Look, when you get a turnover like that with Georgia, against Georgia, you got to put points on the board, and those points have to be touchdowns. Game got away a little bit, but give Tennessee credit. They came back, fought back, made it at least respectable. So I think they're still in the conversation to uh, go to the college football playoffs. Not much in it, but, but they're in the conversation, and that's a good thing. We'll see what happens. If you watch the game, though, it was clear that Georgia was much better than Tennessee. It, it just was. I mean, it just simply, you know, there wasn't much doubt about it. That's the way the thing went, and away we go. All right, let me go a little quicker here. Hey, look, Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman, congratulations. Truly, I believe that because Marcus Freeman's team looked awful. Last week against Syracuse, my Notre Dame friends, including my producer, Jimmy Cook, said, hey, look, Notre Dame looks like a different team. And he was right. And they were a different team. They whomped the Clemson team that's mediocre at best. And away we go. TCU, TCU did exactly what they needed to do. Ohio State looked bad. I'm telling you right now, Northwestern is one of the worst football teams in the country, and Ohio State looked awful. Awful. I didn't get to some of the things, but I'm going to get to this. The Astros win the World Series, but that's not the story. You know what the story is? Mattress Mac. Mattress Mac won himself, listen for it, $75 million. He made a $10 million bet. He, ladies and gentlemen, did this. He won 75. Can you imagine winning 75 million in a bet on the World Series? I sweated out when I got a hundo on Michael Pittman to get over five catches. Good for Mattress Mac. He threw out the first pinch in the clincher. The game was over. I feel like the series was over as soon as the no-hitter went down, and Mattress Mac got it done. All right, hey, Georgia, you're owed an apology. That's right. Atlanta, you're owed an apology. Hey, Major League Baseball, why, and, and Rob Manford, this whole Jim Crow thing, voter suppression that you gave into the woke crowd, guess what? Record turnout. Record early voter turnout. Record in the state of Georgia. 
That's it, record, I said. I said record, as in most ever. But, you know, Rob Manford, you and your chicken blank woke little crowd, you got chicken blank and woke, and next thing you know, you're doing things to appease as opposed to do what's right. You took it from Atlanta, the all-star game. You should at least, at minimum, apologize. At maximum, apologize. Pay him back. Bring the all-star game back. And next thing, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Leach. Mike Leach is a genius. Mike Leach, see, here's the deal. Having beers with Mike Leach is fun. Urban, myself, Mike Leach, we were down in the Keys. Mike Leach showed up on a boat with a couple buddies of his, and we had a great time. Then we went out to dinner the next night, had a great time. I've always been a Mike Leach fan. I said, Mike, what do you do? Like, he was doing uh, serious XM radio. He goes, yeah, I do a segment, I jump in the pool, I get back out, I do another segment. He was living down there. Well, Mike Leach, can we show Mike Leach? Can we show what Mike Leach did to his wide receiver? This This is Bob Knight. (laughs) See, you guys give Mike Leach a pass. Can you imagine, like, if Brian Kelly did that? If if Brian Kelly folded up all the chairs, y'all would be losing your mind. You know what I mean? Leach is just saying, screw it. You wide receivers, you've been horse bleep. You don't deserve to sit. (laughs) And the funniest thing is the guy behind him, one one of the student managers or grad assistants, picking him up and replacing him. That used to be my job 100 years ago for Coach Knight. Oh, man, Mike Leach. He also said this. He said his players wanted to eat fish sandwiches and drink lemonade with their, quote, I'm quoting here, fat little girlfriends instead of playing hard. (laughs) I'll give you a true Bob Knight story. So we're driving down the street one day, and he sees our center, a seven-foot kid named Todd Lindemann, walking out of the convenient mark, with his girlfriend. His girlfriend was a short little girl, very nice looking, very nice girl. And Lindemann's seven feet, and it enraged Coach Knight because Coach Knight said, see, he turned the car around, pulled in the parking lot, Lindemann, get over here. And then he went off on him for dating a short girl because he, quote, didn't want to be big. All right. You don't want to be big, Lindemann. That's why you date a short girl. The whole girlfriend thing has always baffled me. The only thing I ever did was tell one of our players, I go, look, man, I hear your girlfriend's selling weed on campus. You might want to dump her before it becomes a problem. But, hey, Mike Leach, he's calling out his wide receivers, not letting them sit. He's calling out his, his girlfriends of his players, and they did escape. Very luckily, Cadillac Williams had a real shot, and I mean a real shot late in the game against Mississippi State, and it was really a good follow-up to the LSU game. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we got a big one for you today. Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Dog Nation, Mike Griffin. Follow him at MikeGriffith32. You also see him on the SEC Network. We got to talk college football playoffs. What's going to happen in this rankings? Does LSU have a chance other than winning? I, I don't know that they do, but they, they may need to win the SEC championship. Are they capable? The importance of stacking recruits and the importance of coaching. I mean, let's be honest. Kirby Smart's got recruits, but that dude can coach. 
I mean, really coach. And don't even try to tell me that Brian Kelly can't coach. True story. My son is a college basketball coach at Illinois State. They open up today. He called me last night. We were chatting. I go, I'm going to tell you something. After the season, you got to go and you got to study Brian Kelly. You just got to study him. Why he wins, how he wins, how he gets teams to play. Doesn't lose the teams that he shouldn't lose to and occasionally beats good ones. All right. Uh, We shall return with Atlanta Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Mike Griffith. You follow him at Mike Griffith 32 on Twitter. Thanks for being here. We got a lot to get to today. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, in my world, people kind of, sort of pay attention to college football, right? Indiana stinks. Purdue went Purdue the other day. Notre Dame got a good win. But in the everywhere else but Indianapolis, college football is like the greatest thing ever, and I'm here for it. College football has been my favorite sport for a long, 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 long time, and I love talking to smart people about it. Mike Griffith, of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, covers Georgia, covers the SEC. You can follow him at Mike Griffith 32 Nice enough to join us. Mike, we were talking off air. Um, I want to go first into Georgia, and I want to go first into Stetson Bennett. You said something interesting. You said that they actually, Georgia, went after Caleb Williams, even in yeah. the portal, even after winning a championship. Fascinating to me. Yeah, well, Kirby Smart's the guy that says if it ain't broke, find a way to make it better. And, you know, of course, we do a ton of stuff at the DogNation.com website on this, Coach. And Georgia fans know all this. I mean, but they didn't go after a lot of guys. I mean, Georgia doesn't go after guys just to go after guys. Kirby's done a great job recruiting. You know, the the five-star count in that game Saturday was 18 five-stars on the Georgia side, two on the Tennessee side. The guys in Vegas that build the big fountains, they know that. They made a killing on this game. So many people jumped on Tennessee. The Vols had all the momentum, but they had not played in a game, in an environment against a team this talented and a coach that nobody talks about this, Coach. And I get this. It's all about hurry-up offense. Nobody talked about Kirby being the master of the hurry-up defense. Georgia has prepared and played this style of offense better than any program in the country because of the coaching Kirby does. He's got Will Muschamp sitting there. I mean, this is without doubt the best coaching staff in the SEC, and Georgia has supplanted Alabama's top program in the country. What, what's a hurry-up defense in your mind? What, what is it? Well, you see how the Tennessee and other hurry-up offenses are able to kind of game the system, right? They're able to get back to the line of scrimmage and snap the ball before the defense can substitute. Kind of reminds you of backyard ball, where you want to snap the ball before mom and sisters ram. Is this football or is this musical chairs? I've been trying to sit down for no, this is football. This is what they want. They want a lot of offense. And so they've created this system where everybody's going to run around like crazy and snap the ball fast. And Tennessee is the fastest of the fast. And Kirby says, you know what? We got a plan for that. We're going to be ready to get set just like you are. And when Georgia and when Tennessee substitutes, Georgia substitutes, 
but Georgia's going to substitute slowly because they've got the right to sub. Nobody tells them how fast they got to get those guys on and off the field. But Kirby had his packages ready. He knew exactly who to sub for when Tennessee made their changes. Most important thing, incomplete passes, stop the clock, slow down the hurry up, and so does turn over the ball. And, and Tennessee had a lot of problems, Coach. They were one of seven on third downs in the first half, and they weren't having great success on first and second down. So typically what they try to do is snap the ball quick between second and third down so you can't substitute personnel. Well, they were struggling so much that that kind of took that element away. So think about this. Only one play went for 17 yards in the first, what, three and a half quarters. Tennessee did not have a play go longer than seven yards until there were four and a half minutes left, and it was academic at that point. All right, I want to get to something kind of along that that line. Tennessee gets an early fumble, and I'm watching, and my my wife is is a legendary softball coach, all-American player, uh, all-time winningest coach at Syracuse, and, and we like talking. And she looks at me and she goes, I'm telling you right now, you better get a touchdown here against this Georgia team. Field goal ain't going to do it. And, and I've, I agreed, and I felt like that was not a – you know, the game had a lot to go, but that was kind of a big deal in the game. I felt like momentum-wise, no? No, you nailed it, and Kirby Smart said that. You know, there's a lot of keys to stopping Tennessee and, and limiting this prolific offense that was averaging almost 50 points and over 550 yards per game. Kirby Smart said it best. Tennessee goes for the knockout punch early, and you got to survive that first quarter. And so Georgia knew that. And to your point, holding them to three points at that point in the game was pivotal because that didn't do anything to deter or change the Georgia offense. If anything, those three points brought even more of a sense of urgency to the crowd. And, Coach, listen, I understand that crowds very rarely can you point to a crowd and say, yep, that was the difference in the game. I've covered college football 30 years now. I can only think of probably four or five times where the crowd made a difference, and Saturday was one of them. I mean, you're talking about six false start penalties, six quarterback snaps. That's the offensive line's inability to communicate and hear the cadence, and so that puts them at an even pace with the defense. And like Kirby Smart said, you can't account for that .2 seconds of get off that you lose when you can't hear your quarterback cadence. So that absolutely factored in. There was one instance in the game where Tennessee was down to the Georgia nine-yard line, but after consecutive false start penalties, they were back to the 19. Big difference there, right, between third and two and third and 12. So it makes a huge difference. It certainly took Tennessee out of their rhythm and their flow, and the crowd absolutely impacted that game. Momentum was everything. Georgia had it. They never gave up that momentum. Moving forward till tomorrow when the rankings come out, Mike, what, what, what do you see happening here? Georgia's got to be the clear number one. Where are we at after that? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I think there's a discussion between Michigan and The Ohio State right now because The Ohio State did not have a running game at Northwestern. And, yes, I know the winds were 40 miles an hour, but still that was a one-in-seven Northwestern team, and you only scored three touchdowns on a really poor Northwestern team. I don't care that it was a home. I've been to that place. It's like a high school stadium. There's no <laughs> advantage there. I mean, you can see Lake Michigan, and after that, the highlights are over as far as that field. And I know they're getting ready. Anyway, getting back to the point, I don't believe that Ohio State should be number two anymore. I believe that Michigan is the more versatile team. They've got a legit Heisman Trophy contender and Blake Corum. I like Michigan over Ohio State. 
you and I know this. It doesn't really matter. The winner of that game is going to be in the college football playoff. I don't have any doubt. I think chalk holds. I think they went out. The question becomes, is the loser of that game more attractive than a one-loss Tennessee? There's a lot that's got to play out. I'm going to get into these hieroglyphics right now. So you've got Georgia number one. Let's say chalk holds. Georgia wins out. SEC champ there win. I'm going to say this about the Pac-12. They ain't been around in a long time. They've got three one-loss team right now. I believe there's going to be a one-loss conference champion game out of the Pac-12, and I think that team gets in. So that's two. We talked about the Michigan-Ohio State winner. That's three. So who is four? Okay, TCU's undefeated. Do we believe they're going to finish undefeated? Probably not. So let's let's just for now write off TCU and say, sorry, Horned Frogs. You haven't proven it yet, but that's a heck of a nickname. Clemson. Let's say Chalk Holds and Clemson wins the ACC. Do you take a one-loss Clemson that just got pounded by Notre Dame? Do you take a one-loss conference championship game Clemson over a one-loss Tennessee? That, that's a question for you. Or do you take the one-loss Michigan-Ohio State loser over Tennessee? So to me, that's where it's going to get tough. I don't read into these rankings from week to week because all that matters is what happens after December 3rd. You know, you can sort of read the tea leaves a little bit. Like I was going, oh, this is interesting. They have Ohio State over Georgia. So that tells me the committee. But after the way Ohio State stunk it up and the way Georgia dominated, I don't know what the committee thinks right now. And I don't know what the television executives are whispering in their ear. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, coach. They say they're not affected by television. I went at this committee in 2018 and they said, how dare you challenge these guys? These are men of great integrity. And then a few years later, one of those men of great integrity from Oklahoma pulled a backdoor deal to leave the league and stabbed the Big 12 in the back. There was that great integrity that would be objective and not put his program above everyone else. So I don't want to hear it. I don't trust this committee. And we can't assume anything until they put those final picks in the day after the conference championship games in December. Mike, that might be the segment of the year on this show that is nearest and dearest to my heart right there. The, the crap that we hear about men and men, don't tell me that doesn't exist. But to your point, Mike, I always say this. I, I always say it seems to play itself out. Like if TCU runs the table, they're in, right? They, they, are, they are in. If LSU, now look, they just beat Alabama. If LSU somehow beats Georgia, I don't know, but – you're going chalk, and rightfully so. It's normally what happens. But there are a few interesting scenarios here. Sure. For some reason, I'm all over the Brian Kelly bandwagon. I just got tired of everybody ripping him. Yeah. No, I, I like this guy. I, I like this guy. He's deeper than just one moment with a, an accent that, that people didn't like. He's deeper than just never winning the big one at Notre Dame. Look, this guy was a champion and a winner at Grand Valley State. you got to go back and look at what Brian Kelly's done. This is an incredible coach and an incredible presence. He did a miraculous job at Cincinnati. He followed that up by becoming the winningest coach all time at Notre Dame in an era where Notre Dame doesn't get the best players, where Notre Dame tries to ask you to take three or four levels of math to get into their college, and so they lose out on half of the recruits that could help them win titles before they even get to the training table. This was a different era for Notre Dame, and Brian Kelly took that program as far as he possibly could, 
And do they miss him now? And yes, I know they just beat Clemson, but until Dabble changes quarterbacks, Clemson's not a championship program. And I know that he promised DJU if he did everything he has to be the guy, but there's something wrong at Clemson. It's a quarterback position. Getting back to Notre Dame and Brian Kelly, I love the way he turned that game with Mississippi State around at halftime. Mississippi State was beating LSU and something happened. LSU ended up winning that game. Then they get punched in the mouth at Tennessee, early turnover, Bowles get the momentum. You know, they, they get the uh, this uh, musical chairs offense, hurry up offense going, and LSU's out of it. And I'm thinking, okay, that's the knockout punch. But no, LSU stays game. LSU beats Alabama. That's not a fluke when you beat that Alabama team. Not only that, Coach, but going for two. I mean, what a gutsy maneuver at home. The book says you're at home. <laughs> Take it to overtime. Brian Kelly says, no way, man. I said earlier, Bryce Young's the best player in the country. I'm not going to give the other team's best player in the country a chance to beat me. How many times do we see coaches that play not to lose? Credit to Brian Kelly for playing to win. That was a huge win. Now, all that said, they got a couple losable games left. I mean, I don't think they're going to lose against Texas A&M. I don't think they're going to lose to Arkansas. But this is the SEC, man. And those are road games, and anything can still happen. You know what? Every like after the LSU game, Mike, I don't even know how it happened, but the the Mississippi State Auburn game came on my TV, and for some reason, again, my wife and I are like riveted to this. You know, Cadillac Williams is losing his mind, and. The point being, here in Big Ten country, you know, people say, wow, the Big Ten's – no, the Big Ten is uninteresting. There's one game, Mike. This goes back to when I was a kid and it was Michigan-Ohio State. That's all the Big Ten has right now in the SEC. Is this a function of stacking recruiting classes and and these new coaches, you know, Lane Kiffin and Leach and these guys in the league? Why are we at this point? Well, it's a commitment to football, right, in the Big Ten. And I covered that league for four years. Uh, you know, got to see a couple of Michigan State teams win Big Ten championships with Mark D'Antonio. Mel Tucker came in there and did a tremendous job last year. And, you know, in, in the Spartans this year, they're down. They don't have that incredible running back. And so the Michigan game, what it usually is, I mean, usually that's a great football game. Michigan State is amazingly uh, given Jim Harbaugh and Michigan nightmares. They have no business beating Michigan as many times as they have, but there's Michigan State. I watched Michigan State beat Ohio State. We're still waiting for Nebraska to be Nebraska because let me tell you, if there's a fan base that deserves it, and and I know you've been there, Coach, those fans in Nebraska are the best in the country. I I don't know if their sellout streak is still alive. If it is, it'd be a miracle after everything that happened with Scott Frost in the program. They've got to figure out a new model. They've got to make this NIL work. they got to go to Warren Buffett and say, hey, Daddy, we need you, man. We need that NIL pod. That is the only way Nebraska's coming back. They've got the fans. They've got the stadium. they got the lab. But they got to pay for the players. It's as simple as that. You want to know what's happened? That's what's happened. Big Ten schools saying, wait a minute. we got to pay these basketball players too now. But the good news is, is they've got this incredible television contract. And so now the SEC scrambling. Now the SEC, wait a minute. The Big Ten's got more money than us? Okay, Greg Sankey and the SEC schools, they're going to work. They're looking for sustainable models. They got to figure this thing out. They got to go to ESPN and say, hey, we need more money. ESPN says, okay, give us that ninth conference game. SEC says, fine, where's the 12-team playoff? That's what's happening right now in the SEC, some shuffling around, different schedule models to move teams around more often, more interesting matchups. 
I'll say this for the Big Ten. They've got great traditions. They've got cool stadiums. And they've got some really good coaches. I'm not burying the Big Ten. They're more than the Ohio State. But when those ADs sit at the table and make decisions, they got to stop catering to Ohio State. they got to stop changing the rules for one program. And I get it. The Buckeyes, that's the flagship program. Michigan, they've been a disappointment. They've been in the on-deck circle. Looks like Jim Harbaugh's finally got it going. Only took eight or nine years for that investment to pan out. But you cannot cater to two schools. That's not going to work. We saw that with Oklahoma and Texas in the Big 12. It destroyed that conference. The Big 10 needs more equity in the decision-making. You can't just cater to Ohio State and Michigan. you got to give these other programs a chance. Or Iowa's going to keep winning with eight or nine games with the same coach they've had for 20 years, except in mediocrity. Listen, uh, Brett Billima did at Illinois. That piqued my interest for a little bit. Sparty goes down there, knocks him off. When is Wisconsin going to be back? Dan, it's there, but they've got to invest, and they've got to invest in a system that would promote equity and balance in the league and not keep Michigan and Ohio State propped up above everyone else. You know, I'm also going to point, Urban Meyer changed the recruiting in the Big Ten for Ohio State. Like, I feel like the SEC was really smart. Everybody that plays or coaches football knows who Lane Kiffin is. Everybody knows who Mike Leach is. You go out there and you hire guys that have the name recognition, the interests of people, and frankly, offensive philosophies that kids want to play in, it's pretty good. I'm not beating on the Big Ten either, Mike, but I got to tell you, the noon Big Ten game will put you to sleep. If It's the cure for insomnia every freaking time. It just is. Well, you got to get better players, right? It comes down to players. At the end of the day, and Kirby Smart will tell you that, for all we talked about, the scheme and the fans, at the end of the day, there were 18 five-star players. Those guys were able to compete, win games. The Big Ten, unfortunately, can't change their climate. It's cold up there, right? Nope. You need more dome. St- I think more dome stadiums. Although, I will say, Mark Antonio made me eat my words. When I went up there and took over that beat in 2012, I said, Coach, you can't win here. You need a dome. you got to have something to separate from Ohio State and Michigan. Nobody's coming to East Lansing when they can stop off in Columbus or Ann Arbor. I'll be doggone if you didn't win two Big Ten titles and beat that Urban Meyer. They beat Ezekiel Elliott and Michael Thomas with a third-string quarterback in Columbus, Ohio. I could not believe a game. And I know you know what game I'm talking about. The passion is there, though, right? Tom Izzo, this is real. You know this is real. Loved covering Izzo, right? We're walking off the court, final regular season game. Scenario is if Michigan uh, loses, there's a uh, – no, if Michigan – yeah, if Indiana wins, Michigan State has a share of the Big Ten title with Indiana and Michigan. And, and Izzo's walking off the court. He says, how'd they do? We say, oh, it's great. Uh, Indiana goes, I don't want to share it. I go, wait a minute. You would rather not have a piece of the Big Ten title – then have to share. He goes, I don't want to share anything with Michigan ever. And and he would. So I'm thinking this is unbelievable. Instead of having this trophy in his office that in, in small print says he shared it with Indiana and Michigan, Izzo would rather have no trophy at all because he doesn't want Michigan to have one. The passion is real. It can happen there, but the decision makers have to invest the football buildings, the stadiums, the fan experience, and now it's all coming down to NIL, man. We've hit the reset button, and this is a new world. It ain't just about what kind of food you can serve or how good your recruiting visit is. It's show me the money. It's where's my deal. It's what's my paycheck. This is where college sports is at. 
And eventually something's got to give because the boosters are like, wait a minute, we're throwing our money out of the way and we're looking at the stock market. I don't know if we can continue to do it. It's not the boosters. You've got to get corporate involvement like the NFL has. And now they're competing with the NFL. The NFL's moving in on college game days. There is a fight for money because college model has changed and is now becoming more of a professional model. And these schools have to figure it out. And it's tough. Because the ivory tower, they don't want to admit that they're going to have to pay players, but they're going to have to pay players. They ain't about having to pay players. It's their paying players right now. I've seen, I've been, I've seen some of the cars that people are driving now, and I'm like, damn. Well, here's the Kentucky's hell problem right there. Where was this? There's Kentucky's. Now oh. we're talking Kentucky. You know, the basketball guy's got a Porsche deal. The football guy's got a Ford deal. You know what I'm saying? That's, you know, you, you, you know it, it's not equitable here. You've got to figure out where – and here's the other thing. Payers have been getting paid a long time. We know this. Payers have been getting paid – players paid a long time. Michigan, Fab Five, further back, further back. But now here's your dilemma. The kids know what the other guys are making. Now there's negotiation. Wait right. a minute. How much is he getting? How much is he getting? What He's got a, he's got a Lexus deal. And I've got this deal, and he's on this billboard, and he's doing, uh, you know, this this advertisement for this hamburger place. And what do I have, Coach? I, there's been players, and it's tough right now to manage. And I think you're seeing this is what's undermined what's happened at Texas A&M. These guys are coming in off of this multi-million dollar recruiting class, and the guys that are juniors and seniors, they're saying, "Hey, Coach, I didn't get a deal like that. Why is, why is Johnny Freshman making more than me? I'm your I'm your starting safety." Where's my deal? Well, we don't have money for you, but we, so you're trying to manage the locker room dynamics here. That's a game changer for these college coaches. And oh, by the way, if you yell too loud and you use the wrong word, little Johnny might be in the transfer portal because he didn't like the way you treated him or because he doesn't like where he's on the depth chart after his freshman year. Now, if you're Kirby smart and you got it rolling and you produce 15 guys in an NFL record draft, you can say, look, None of these scouts come to me and say, how did he do his freshman year or sophomore year? They want to see what you do after year three when you're draft eligible. Trust me. Trust the system. It'll take care of itself. And the player goes, ah, okay, he's selling uh, reality. He's not trying to sell a vision. But for these guys that are trying to build a program, why should I trust you? You might be fired in three years, two years. Your defensive coordinator that made all those promises, he might be gone. And what do you mean my NIL? deal is is renewable on a year-to-year basis where's my guarantees there is a lot more for these coaches to manage than they ever had to manage before and the teams that are winning have a huge momentum break right now they better ride that momentum because you've got this window if you're on top right now you better cash in because when that momentum goes away we talked about nebraska earlier it's tough to get back on the horse it took tennessee what 20 years to get back to number one, 24 years. They still haven't been back to the SEC championship game since 07. That momentum is incredibly important. Alabama right now at a crossroads. Two losses before Thanksgiving. Got to go back a long time since that's happened. Tide better make sure they beat Auburn. Saban better make sure he makes the right hires. Momentum is everything. Mike, I talk about it all the time. I, I, my program, Indiana Basketball, they – they literally thought when they fired Bob Knight, and maybe they should have, that's a different story. They literally thought anybody could come in there and win. We are now at Indiana basketball celebrating the fact that Indiana came in ninth place in the Big Ten, won the freaking play-in game against Wyoming, 
and got blown out by St. Mary's. And Indiana, guys are like celebrated as bringing the program back. Momentum is yeah. absolutely everything, whether it's in your NIL deals, whether it's in your recruiting, whether it's in your winning, it does, your player retention. Momentum lost crushes a program. It crushes it, period. You're so right about that. Yeah, that's what, you know, going back to Izzo, that's what's made Michigan State so amazing is his ability to sustain. And, and I remember an Indiana game when Crean was there. I, I remember that classic showdown when Indiana was number one and Michigan State goes in there. With, and I'm thinking, I'm looking around the gym, man, and I can feel the history. How many times did I watch games at Indiana growing up and just, man, what a basketball school. And how does it get away? Because the talent is still there. There's still players coming out of Indianapolis. It doesn't get any better than Indiana with high school basketball. You say, how did it get away? How did it slip away? Where did the leadership make make their mistakes? Was it not uh, a newer gym, updating facilities? Coach, you were there. I don't know. I'd love to have a side conversation and find out because how does it get away? In Nebraska, we understand it. Okay, they, they, they don't have a, a home recruiting base. They had to recruit nationally and put guys in the lab and play the option and run over people with guys that were all puffed up. We get that. Okay, it worked. It was the most dominant program in the 90s outside. I believe Steve Spurrier sustained a little more seven SEC titles in 12 or 13 years with the fun and gun. But how does it get away from a program like Indiana that has a recruiting base like that? And again, I'm going to tell you, it's it's leadership. And it's, it's money. You know, it, it, the answer always comes back to money, whether we're talking about who can pay for the players or who can put the money into the facilities or who can pay the most for coaches or give the coaches the recruiting budget that they need because there's always something better out there. It, the glass is never full, man. You're ne- you've never arrived in athletics. And that's why we love talking about it. That's why we love discussing it because what's true today may not be true Next Monday, you might be calling me saying, what happened in Starkville to Georgia? Oh, my gosh, who would have thought LSU? I mean, that is what keeps the world turning in our sports world. I will tell you, a a very abridged, in 1987, before I left to go to Bowling Green, my last meeting at Indiana, the athletic director said, we are going to, Mike, we are going to, and I'm quoting here, de-emphasize basketball. And I went, what? What, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, listen, I get it. You know, these are academic institutions, right? And they want to tell you that first and foremost, they're an academic institution. I do understand that. But let's go back to North Carolina. Let's talk about North Carolina and the way those Tar Heels like talk about their great academic. And it is a great academic school. You can learn a lot if you go to class, coach. If you go to class. But you didn't have to go to class, Right. It was a fraudulent issue. Those weren't student-athletes, right? Well, there's other people who can pass without going to class, so there's no real advantage. Talk about a loophole, man. Come on. They need to come off it. It is what it is. These student-athletes, they're going there to major in sports. They're going for an athletic career. Yes, serve them. Give them majors and help and, and help them with jobs that they can have that run parallel or will protect them after their careers. But to de-emphasize you know, their dreams and hopes of playing sports, what the Big Ten did a couple years ago, trying to cancel the season. Man, that was wrong. Those guys signed up for those schools believing that that programs and leadership was all in on helping them get their dreams. And it went all political and it went south real fast. You wonder what's wrong with the Big Ten. That was a blow to the Big Ten. 
How can you trust that sort of leadership if they're not invested in your dreams, if they're not going to give you the means to do what you go to their school to accomplish, right? So let's create a system now, knowing what we know about NILs, where everybody can win, where the student athlete can pursue the athletic dreams while still getting an education. But let's not pretend that he's in the same trigonometry class with the student with the student that has aspirations of studying climate change and saving the world. And I'm not saying that you can't have high profile student athletes that take engineering classes and, and things like I've seen it happen before, but you also need to have a parallel uh, a parallel system that will support the student athlete and what they want to accomplish. Look, the art major, the music major, they're not sitting in those uh, trigonometry classes either necessarily. The design major, you know, the people, want, girls want to go learn how to design dresses or who have girls, guys, whoever, uh, you know, nothing wrong with that. You know, you know what I'm saying? But there's something for everybody. It's no shame in having something for student athletes and coming up with a system that would serve that purpose. You're pre- there would have been, about a couple years ago, I would have argued a little bit with it, just based on my experience as a head coach and what I did and, and what Coach Knight like him or dislike him. But I ain't arguing that anymore. I think you're absolutely right. I think, uh, to your point, the world has changed, and if you don't change with it, you got a problem. Mike, I got to have you back, man. That's a great half hour. I got to have you back. I appreciate it, Coach. Enjoy the show, man. Enjoy everything you guys do at OutKick. A lot of fun, man. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Thanks, Mike. Man, that was as good as you're going to find right there, man. Mike Griffith, 32. Mike, M-I-K-E, Griffith, 32 on Twitter. Follow him. Go to Dog Nation. Go to uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. It's great. Now, we come back. Our guy. Last night, you saw probably the best coaching job of the year end up in a loss. We'll talk to our friend Chad Withrow about the greatness that is, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Mike Vrabel, but the greatness that is, ladies and gentlemen, Patrick Mahomes, and the god-awfulness that is the Indianapolis Colts. Ah, jeez. We'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know... And I'm not going to say, even though both teams lost, I'm not going to say that Tennessee still isn't the capital of football. The Titans last night showed themselves to be, I think, the best coach team in the NFL. Now, Patrick Mahomes showed himself maybe to be the best player in the NFL. The tech, uh, the Vols went down to Georgia, and Georgia looked pretty good. We'll talk to, right now, our friend Chad Withrow. You see him, you know him, you love him on OutKick 360. All right, big fella. Let's do this. Let's start with Georgia. Clearly the best team in the SEC. Clearly the best team in the country in your mind. Yeah, I think pretty obviously. By the way, I need to get a better backdrop like Mike had in your previous segment. I always look like uh, I always look like I'm moving in, even though I've been in my house now for uh, about a decade. Uh, I'll be moving soon, so then that'll happen again, where I'll be in another room where it looks like I just moved in. But I'm jealous of his backdrop. It's always fun hopping on with you, Dan. But absolutely, Georgia 
is the team to beat. Uh, they proved it this weekend. I really thought all week that everyone kept making the assumption that Tennessee was just going to continue to score at will against teams. And I'm thinking, well, maybe Georgia is just the defense that has the dudes that can man up against Tennessee, that can be physical enough with their wide receivers to knock them off their game, to knock them off their rhythm. And that proved to be true on Saturday. Look, Stetson Bennett was asked right after the game, was it motivation that you weren't number one? And, and he, he didn't deny it. He said, yeah. He said, you got to come to us before you're going to be number one. you got to go through us. And I think that's the right mindset for Georgia. And they proved that they have the inside track to be the defending national champ, not to, to defend it and to win it again as a repeat champion this year. I was super impressed with Georgia in this game. Now, I thought Tennessee shot themselves in the, in the foot repeatedly. You know, eight pre-snap penalties. They let the crowd affect them. Six of those penalties came inside the Georgia 30-yard line. For the second straight year, they do the best job of anyone of moving the ball on Georgia well enough to get it inside the 30, get it inside the red zone. But they do very little once they do that. Um, so Georgia's got Tennessee's number right now. Uh, they've got everyone's number across the country. They are the best team in America until proven otherwise. And they took a big step in, in, in proving that once again on Saturday, which was, you know, it was a 14-point game, but I thought a really convincing, dominating win for Georgia with the caveat that I don't think Hinton Hooker, I thought Hinton Hooker played his worst game as of all, and I don't think Tennessee helped themselves at all in that game. But Georgia's the better team. Yeah, I agree. I, I totally agree. All right, last night the better team did win. And that team was the Chiefs. But, damn, I'm going to go off today on my radio show here in Indy. We had the Colts did, Mike Vrabel, in the building. And he ends up not being hired, gets hired by the Tennessee Titans. And I thought Vrabel and the Tennessee Titans played a whale of a game. Uh, give me your reaction to that last night. So I think Mike Vrabel is an elite NFL coach. He may be the best coach going right now. And that's going to sound crazy to people because he doesn't have a Super Bowl. You know, he's made it to the one AFC championship game where they lost to the Chiefs. But here's the big issue with the Titans. It's getting old to sit around and talk about how Mike Vrabel makes chicken salad out of chicken bleep. That is a John Robinson issue. And they've got to get past that. It is pathetic how often we're talking about Mike Vrabel making things work because John Robinson's not providing him with enough to get the job done. <laughs> I'm a John Robinson fan. I think he's done a lot of things well. That defense is great. But even on defense, Mike Vrabel's ability to plug and play, to bring in different guys off the street and not miss a beat is second to none across the NFL. That defensive staff does a terrific job. I think they have the wrong offensive coordinator right now with the Titans. I think they probably made a bad decision with Malik Willis, but it's still too early to know that right now. They took a flyer on a guy in the third round. But, Dan, that's the least of their problems offensively. And I, I want to make the main thing the main thing right here because we can talk about Malik Willis. He's clearly not ready to play in the NFL at this point. But Malik Willis was not the problem last night. Problem is the Titans don't have an NFL-caliber wide receiver. Uh, Traylon Burks goes down, and the guys they have out there right now after trading away A.J. Brown, they can't get open. Uh, if Malik Willis, if his receivers make a play on two of the three fade routes he throws, it's a very different discussion on Malik Willis. If they call a very obvious DPI against Austin Hooper on a third 
fade, then we're having a very different discussion today. I think Malik Willis has been bad. He's looked like a guy who's not ready to play in the league. But this stems from a John Robinson issue of providing that offense talent and also an offensive scheme issue where you completely abandon Derrick Henry in the second half. But even with all of that out there, Dan, I am amazed the Titans were able to take the Chiefs on the road to overtime with Malik Willis as the starting quarterback. That is a testament to Mike Vrabel and that staff. That guy gets it done. He's an elite NFL coach. You know what's – it would be – if I were a Titans fan or I was a broadcaster, it would infuriate me that A.J. Brown isn't there from the standpoint of this, Chad. He's the perfect fit for that team. Legitimately the perfect guy to put on that team, whether it's Tannehill – at the control, or Willis, I don't care. He's exactly what that team needs, and you had him, and you wouldn't pay him, and you got rid of him like it was nothing. That would infuriate me. He is the physical embodiment of a Titan, of what they want under both John Robinson and Mike Vrabel. He's tough. Uh, He makes plays, which they just don't have. He is a game-breaking, game-wrecking type player. And they traded him because – they didn't like the noise he was making in the offseason. They don't like his his Twitter persona. Uh, they don't like certain things about him. He was never a problem in that locker room. He was never a problem with his teammates. He's outspoken. And, yes, he continues to run his mouth on Twitter, even during the game last night. He's tweeting out a, a meme or a, a gif of someone laughing about Titans not having anyone open. He says, oh, no one's open, you say. And he's watching the game and laughing at the Titans because he could have been that guy. Um, <laughs> Look, that, that that part of it is not a John Robinson, Mike Vrabel type guy, right, being that loud. But look at all the great young wide receivers who were threatening to sit out, you know, threatening to do something because of their contract, and everyone got it worked out. DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, uh, Debo Samuel. You know, these are guys of the same ilk of A.J. Brown, and for whatever reason, the Titans are an organization that just decided, yeah, we're not going to deal with it. We're not going to do business like the rest of the league. We're going to get rid of this guy. If you want out of here so bad, we're not going to view this as some sort of negotiation tactic. We're going to take you at your word, and we're going to trade you. The problem with that is when you're in a window to possibly win a Super Bowl, when you make your team that much worse, your offense that much worse, by getting rid of the one true playmaker on offense outside of Derrick Henry in the run game, then I don't know what you're doing. This is not a team that should be in rebuild mode. Uh, to do that. So, look, the Titans are worse on offense. They are objectively worse on offense with A.J. Brown. There's no argument against that. Now, the thinking I th- uh, was, hey, we've done it with A.J. Brown. We can do it with Traylon Burks. We'll bring him in. He'll be a cheaper version of him. He looked a lot like A.J. Brown in college. They're both from the SEC West. Burks played at Arkansas. Brown played at Ole Miss. We like this guy a lot. But how often does that happen? Look at the Titans' history, Dan. How often have they drafted – a really good wide receiver, almost never. So I think to play that game of taking the chance of we can just do it again and draft Traylon Burks and he's going to come in and be A.J. Brown was fool's gold for the Titans and John Robinson. And that's proven to be true right now, even though this team is 5-3 and three and had a chance to win it at, at Arrowhead. I, it's still not a team that I view as a real threat in the AFC come playoff time simply because they don't have a passing game. When... um when you look at the division, give me something on my Colts. Give me something good or bad or happy or sad. 
Well, if you, uh, it's going to be sad because I don't know how you can, you can't argue Dan that they're tanking right now uh, with Sam Ellinger at, at quarterback. Uh, Frank Reich has got to be done right. The same tired excuses after every game. And, and he's a guy, it's not really excuses. He's owning it, but you can only say that, you know, we've got to be better as coaches we got to be better as an offense so many times before you're the problem as the offensive guy with, with Reich. But I also look at Ellinger and I look at that offense right now and I'm thinking, I, I don't know who's going to do much with that group. And you can't convince me that Matt Ryan's not a better option. Uh, he's not that much better. I understand what they're doing. They're trying to figure out what they have in Ellinger before they're going to go draft a quarterback or try to find another one. But, I mean, if you're really trying to win and stay competitive – then Matt Ryan's still your starting quarterback for the Colts. So it looks to me like a team, it's like a soft opening at a restaurant, Dan. This is a soft tanking going on from the Colts right now. They're just kind of, they're they're dipping their toes in the water. The water's a little bit cold. They don't want to go full shrinkage and dive right into the deep end. So they're dipping their toes in the tanking waters, seeing what it feels like. And now they're about to go fully submerged into the shallow end and eventually take off and swim through that deep end of tanking as this season goes on because that was an abysmal performance yesterday offensively against New England, and I think this is a team that's about to go into full tank mode the rest of the way. You know, I don't I, – I, I watch New England, and we, we always want to say New England's good because we always want to say with Belichick you got a chance, but I don't think that team's very good, but I do think Matthew Judon is really good. Their defense is is good. Judon's good. They they've got some guys yeah. on. They got some dudes on defense. That offense is not good. Uh, I, I'm not convinced no. on Mac Jones. I mean, they are really trying to piecemeal that thing together where they can get something done offensively. But but I'm with you. That was a dominating performance by New England, and they're going to have those because of Belichick and his defensive plans going into games. And they've got some dudes on defense. So the Colts aren't the first. They won't be the last to have a game like that against New England. But you're right, Dan, that I, I watch the offense and, and I, I don't see a very good team overall simply because they've got still got big questions at quarterback. They don't have the big playmaker on offense either. Um, that's that's a it's not Jonathan Hutton, my co-host, always likes to say it's not if you lose, it's how you lose. And that was a it's how you lost type game for the Colts because it, it looks like a team going through and watching that, that that's getting ready for the NFL draft because of, of playing Ellinger, because the way they look on offense, they've got so many needs now offensively that I, I don't see it in any other way that then they're looking for another starting quarterback after the season. Um, how you lose is interesting because I thought how Aaron Rodgers lost yesterday was a bad way for Aaron Rodgers and, in my opinion, his smugness, his above-it-all approach to the Packers this year. That, that loss with the two interceptions in the red zone affected that man's street cred within his own locker room. I don't care how great he was or maybe even is. He was bad. I mean, let's just, let's just say what it was, bad. right? There, there were plenty of times where I think a couple of times his emotion and anger – was directed at himself, and it probably could have been misconstrued at him yelling at someone else. But there were a couple times I kept rewinding and watching his outburst to see who he's yelling at or who he's talking about because you can always read lips and catch what he's mouthing at times. And there were a couple of times where he's actually talking to himself 
uh, saying that he needs to do a better job. At least that's when I slow it down and watch it. It looks like he's yelling at himself for a bad throw. But that attempted trick tackle eligible play to Bakhtiari, you know, we can sit and debate, was it a good call to throw to a guy like that when, you know, you can throw to a receiver or a tight end. Uh, it was open for a second, and he is in the back, going to the back of the end zone by himself. That was a bad play by Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he he had time to take his time, plant his feet, and loft it towards the corner of the end zone to a wide open Bakhtiari. Instead, he did this sort of quick turn, didn't even look that way, tried to flip it over there, assuming he was going to be wide open, and Hutchison made a good play coming back to it for the interception. There were a couple other throws, just simply bad throws. Now, you mix in the fact that he's clearly not on the same page as his receivers, and I will give Aaron Rodgers the benefit of the doubt on this one. If there's a miscommunication issue or someone looks like they're running the wrong route, it's probably the receivers and not Aaron Rodgers that's wrong on those. So I think he's got reason to be frustrated with his receivers with some of the, the offensive problems. But overall, Dan, th this is – I mean, we're in November now. We're, we're in the crunch time for the NFL, November and December. Let's let's say what it is right now. The Packers are bad. They're a bad football team. They just lost to a one-win Lions team. Their offense looked miserable in that game. The Lions defense has been giving up a ton of yards and points this year. This is a bad Packers team, and we're probably one more loss away from officially not talking about this Packers team or this offense, but talking about the future of Aaron Rodgers and where he's going to end up next or if he's going to retire after this season. Does the Jordan love – you know, I don't – we're doing it in Indianapolis under the guise of, uh, well, you know, the guy got hurt, Matt Ryan, and then they just said, screw it, we're not – we're just going to play Matt or Sam Ellinger. Is there a scenario – let's say you go six straight losses. Is there a scenario, do you think, Chad, where Aaron Rodgers has to sit it out and we got to see in Packerland – what uh, what Jordan Love is all about? I, I don't think that. I, man, that's a great question because I've never really thought of from the perspective of we've got to try and see what we have left as an organization because everything that that's happened from the Packers side of it since they drafted Jordan Love has been an appeasement program to Aaron Rodgers. It's all been the apology right. tour, right, from the Packers because they know they screwed it up. And he went out and played at an MVP level for back-to-back -back seasons. And everything seems like it's been done as a concession to Aaron Rodgers. So this would be a very quick pulling the rug out from under him and saying, the, the appeasement plan is over and you're now benched because we have to figure out what we have as a franchise moving forward. And you can figure it out after the season. We'll figure out what to do with you. But you go sit on the sideline with Matt LaFleur or don't participate at all if you don't want because you're no longer the quarterback. I still have a hard time seeing that happening, even though I think this team is headed nowhere. I really thought it was an elimination game for both the Bucks and the Packers yesterday. Uh, I think the, the Rams are now eliminated, quite frankly, too. But I thought the loser of those games, if one loss, you could start to talk about the offseason a little bit more, and then the, the, the Packers lose to the Lions. So we're, we're talking about that now. I don't think Jordan loves the answer. I think they know Jordan loves not the answer. So my answer, Dan, a long-winding way of saying – I don't think they're going to do that because I think they already have their answer on Jordan Love. So they're going to let Aaron Rodgers play as long as he wants to play. Could I see Aaron Rodgers getting hit one too many times and having some sort of injury, you know, later in the season 
that's going to sideline him and could be best for all parties if they're not really in the playoff discussion to where now you can play a Jordan Love and sort of see what you have more of there. And then Aaron Rodgers can get ready for whatever's next. Maybe that happens. I still have a hard time believing that they just bench Aaron Rodgers and put in Jordan Love because they want to see what he has moving forward. I really think they already have their answer on that. Yeah, I kind of do too. I, I, I agree with you. All right. Uh, I cannot let you go without discussing the Alabama people, at least uh, the players, did not seem scared. LSU rushed the field. And looks to me like LSU, or excuse me, Alabama learned their lesson. No, nobody was scared. I know the administrator had a problem, but hey, the players got off, right? Well, Jermaine Burton was the first one off the field. Uh, so he clearly learned his lesson after smacking a Tennessee student, a young woman, on his way off the field at, at Tennessee. I just think, you know, we're talking about Malik Willis. Like, I'm getting in this argument with a lot of buddies right now that want to just crush Malik Willis over the Titans' offensive performance last week. And I keep telling them, let's keep the main thing the main thing. It is not Malik Willis's fault that he does not have functional NFL wide receivers. That is a John Robinson problem. And that's the root of the issue right now with the Titans' offense. So let's keep it there. I'll say the same about this rushing the field stuff with Alabama. Immediately, Alabama fans... Nick Saban, Alabama administration, Greg Sankey also came out, the SEC commissioner, and deflected and turned a guy taking a swipe at a woman on his way off the field for no reason, who wasn't really even in his way, turned it into a, well, you know, these guys, it's a safety problem. We got to look into ways that people won't storm the field. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is Jermaine Burton took a swing at a woman on his way off the field smacked her in the back of the head, and nothing happened to him. He didn't get suspended one game. He kept playing. And then a couple weeks later, another team, another fan base, storms the field against Alabama, and everyone is fine. And then we just continue going about our way. There's no way to stop this, Dan. You can have all of the advisory committees you want. Greg Sankey can call in. Uh, people from you know the Polish government, if he wants, can come in. And they've had to deal with crowd control before. And he can have this liaison from somewhere else to talk about it. There's nothing that's going to stop students and fans from jumping over the wall and storming the field after they beat a top-ranked team. It's going to happen. Uh, players just got to get off the field. It, it's really that simple. And, uh, and also, fans don't need to be idiots once they get on the field. Don't run up and get in someone's face. Don't shove anyone else. Uh, if you want to do it, fine. Go celebrate. But there's responsibility on both sides. And going back to the Jermaine Burton thing, people keep coming after me. Why, why are you still dragging this back up? It's because nothing happened. If Nick Saban, if he just came out and said, it's wrong, we're not going to do that here, he's going to sit this one game. I would have no issue with it. We would not still be sitting here talking about it. But Nick Saban decided to take a different approach. So now I'm taking a different approach about it because it's ridiculous that he didn't have to sit at all. It is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Look, I'm with you. You can get mad about it and you can posture whether you're the commissioner or the president of whatever school. But the main thing is the main thing. Dude took a swipe, hit a girl, and nothing has happened. That's okay. Maybe he had to run some sprints in the morning. That's it. And that is without question the main thing. And that really should be the only thing, Chad. There isn't anything else. And oh, by the way, a, wa a lady, I guess it was, with a walker rush the field, and I'm for that. I think it's all great. 
we need more ladies with walkers taking the field. I wonder how different the story would have been. This photo is great of her with the walker, too. I wonder how different the story would have been if Jermaine Burton hit her in the back of the head with the walker instead of the girl walking fine and upright that was a young student at Tennessee. I wonder if Nick Saban would have actually suspended him for hitting the woman with a walker as opposed to the student at Tennessee. Maybe that would have changed the story a little bit. One more no! thing on the say Jermaine Burton thing. You know, it's one thing, Dan, if you are a coach that's on the hot seat or you're a guy in the middle of a miracle run with a team that you know you're not going to get it back ever and you've never been there before, if you have to make a tough business decision about your star player and you have to sweep it under the rug and keep playing them because you have to have that player to play, the most disappointing thing with Nick Saban is the guy's won seven national titles or whatever the number is now. Uh, he's been there before. He doesn't have to have Jermaine Burton to have success. And he still chose to play him. That that I just he, He's in no fear of ever getting fired. Uh, he's going to step away from Alabama whenever he wants. The guy is playing with house money. And he's still elected to play a guy he didn't ultimately need. That just, it sits wrong with me. And I, I'm a guy who's always respected Nick Saban. I haven't always liked him but I've respected the job he's done at Alabama, respect him as a coach, respect him as a leader. But that was a horrible decision by him. I could not agree more. I I agree with absolutely everything you're saying. Like, look, I'm on the hot seat. I may have to keep a guy, hey, and you guys in the media and you guys in wherever can complain about it, but you won't complain if I win and I'll keep my job. That is not what, what transpired here. Last thing before I let you go. Brian Kelly got it done, big boy. I'm all in on the Brian Kelly train. Do they have any shot to win their next couple and then win in Atlanta? I think they got a great shot. They are the most improved team in the SEC. When you look at September to November, name a more improved team than than LSU. Really, from the moment Tennessee went down there and, and, and embarrassed them at home, Brian Kelly after the game, and I always point to this moment. I'm listening to the postgame of both LSU and Tennessee coaches after that game. And Brian Kelly came right out and said, no excuses. He said, look, maybe we need to look in the mirror as coaches and figure out things we can do to help these guys because I still think they're playing hard and they're fighting and they've got a good spirit about them. He said, maybe we should have gone to seven-man protections earlier in this game. Maybe we should have done some other things to help them out because we're not really helping them. From that point on, they've been undefeated. Uh, they rolled at Florida. They destroyed Ole Miss at LSU, and now they've beaten Alabama. This is a very improved team. I, I, Brian Kelly is a coach. To me, there's never been a question about it. You know, there's questions about Brian Kelly in other areas of his personality. Yeah. But he's a great coach. He's won everywhere he's been. He won at Notre Dame. Uh, he's done a terrific job in year one at, at LSU. With all the jokes this offseason, he's got that team to buy in. They've improved. They're going to recruit at a high level at LSU. So I think it's a, a, a terrific first year for Brian Kelly. And it's also fascinating to me, Dan, that on the same night that Brian Kelly gets that first huge, huge signature win, he's had good wins this year, but huge signature win as LSU head coach. Marcus Freeman gets his first huge win uh, at Notre Dame also over Clemson. By the way, a Clemson team that has been dramatically overrated all season. We have watched that team play. They were headed for a performance like that. Kudos to Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame for putting one on them. But I I was predicting that all week. I really thought this was a a Clemson team that's going to get whipped bad at some point. 
and it happened to happen at Notre Dame. But both coaches get their first signature win at their program, not just on the same day, the same night with those games happening simultaneously. I thought it was awesome. I, I, I did. Clemson's got a problem. Last thing, I'm keeping you too long, but I feel like when Clemson had to make the quarterback switch at Syracuse, yes, it worked, but it signified a bigger problem because this DJU was supposed to be the man. I don't think Clemson looks very good. They're not good on offense at all. And, and DJ has been no. very disappointing this season. Uh, and also on Saturday night, you know, they DJ, DJ's our guy. DJ's our guy. You know, we hear that constantly from Dabo. And then they go to Klubnik during the game, and Klubnik throws a pick six. Then they go back to DJ late in the game when they're getting blown out. It's just, it's a bad look. They've got a quarterback controversy. They got an offense problem now, really for a second straight year at Clemson. Um, I don't think this program's going anywhere because the way they recruit, they're always going to be right at the top of the ACC. So they're always going to be right in the playoff mix, I think, year in and year out with the talent they're going to acquire at Clemson. But they got to figure things out offensively. They got to figure things out at quarterback. It's not going to happen for them this year. I think even a one-loss ACC champion Clemson team is going to have a hard time arguing to get in over some other one-loss teams that may be out there. But they got to figure out the offense for next season. It's not going to happen this season. They got to figure it out for next year. What you got on the show today, big boy? We got a lot of reaction, Dan. We're going to talk about that Titans near upset win last night. Um, a light weekend in the NFL with the amount of games with all the teams on by, but obviously a lot of reaction to Georgia being Georgia and really just big boy in Tennessee in that game. So we're going to react to the college football weekend as well. Look at the AP top 25, give our predictions for the next college football playoff rankings that will come out tomorrow night. Uh, and also we'll celebrate mattress Mac after his $75 million win with the Astros winning the world series. So it's going to be a fun day on outkick 360, three to six Eastern time this afternoon. Thank you, my friend. Dan, you're the best, man. Always fun going on your show. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate the team at OutKick, man. OutKick 360 guys are great. Um, I don't know how you feel about this, but there's an NBA player. I want you to think about this real quick. We come back. There's an NBA player that says a referee called him a little biatch. I'm here for it. Also, I got some stock ups and stock downs, including some entertainers. And my boys at IU Basketball start, when I come right back, I'm going to give you a little preview of IU Basketball. Don't leave here. Stay right here. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. I love certain things. And one of the things that I love is telling the world that uh, – Indiana basketball is going to win a national championship, and I do it basically every year. Uh, I do it. And so here's the deal. You can't make any kind of prediction on Indiana basketball until, ladies and gentlemen, until after Halloween because Indiana basketball players occasionally lose their minds on Halloween. But make no mistake, this is the year Indiana University men's basketball Competes. I'm not going to say wins a national championship because you got to get a lot of luck. A lot of things got to fall your way. 
but this is the first time in forever that Indiana basketball is actually going to compete for a national championship. They are going to be in the top 10. They are to start with. They're going to be in the top 10 basically the entire year. Their schedule is tough. It's tough enough that they may lose a game or two, but it is also tough enough where they may win some monster games. And don't be surprised if they get up to number one. Let me talk about it. They go to Xavier, which has a new coach. They play North Carolina in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. They play Arizona, and they play Kansas in the non-conference season. This is interesting. Don't be a fool. Don't be one of those guys that says, Doc, it's your homer. Indiana has all their important players back. Indiana has a very good freshman guard. Uh, named Shafino Hood, who will compete against Xavier Johnson, who's a six-year senior. The only problem is Xavier Johnson's a bit of a nutcase. So, well, he may not like Shafino Hood taking his minutes. We'll see how that rolls out. Big inside, Trace Jackson Davis is good enough. Not good enough to be a pro. He'll maybe play on a team. Race Thompson, not good enough, but good enough as a college player. They're going to shoot the ball much better. Miller Cop uh, hopefully gets a jump shot that can go in. And Tamar Bates is an interesting dude because he's just crazy enough to get you a bunch of buckets. But that's not the thing that I like about this segment. Can I tell you the thing I like about this segment? I love the fact that Spencer Dinwiddie is whining, crying, moaning about Tony Brothers, the referee. Now, Spencer Dinwiddie is one of those guys that's a good player. He plays for the Dallas Mavericks. I want to read this to you. Spencer Dinwiddie took issue with Tony Brothers, the veteran referee, for wrongly whistling for a technical foul, then using profane language to describe him. He referred to Dinwiddie as a batch-ass-m- Blanker. Salud, Tony Brothers. If you don't think